0: Well, thank you. Thank you so much for. (laughs) Hello. Welcome to Hey Arnold. Hey, we're back. We're back. This is, uh, Corey Vaughn, and I'm with... Adam Samaha. Yeah, we're hanging in Adam's little home, talking again about... Hey, Arnold. Um, yeah, how are you? I'm
1: doing really good. Yeah, it's good to be back on air.
0: Back, back on the internet air. Uh, we're talking today about DAS Subway and Weez Ed, uh, which are two episodes of Hey, Arnold. Uh, if this is your first time, uh, checking in with us, uh, we talk about Hey, Arnold, um... Every every podcast episode, we talk about a couple different mini-episodes of Hey Arnold. We analyze it critically and socially and culturally and talk about it, cry about it. Yeah, so wel- welcome if this is your first time. Um, we uh, Yeah, we're talking about these episodes, um, but real quick, uh, if you could rate and review us after you listen on iTunes... That would be great. Very That's helpful. really
1: all that we care about.
0: That's all end. we care about. Yeah. That Not if you like it or not. Just, just rate and review. Rate and review. Give us four to five stars, please. Would be <laughs> great. Um, yeah, uh, a couple other things. Uh, Emily Okada does our design. Look up her great work. Um, Google Emily Okada. Um, anything else that I'm forgetting about this? No, I don't think so. Cool. Um, das Subway is named that and it's referencing the movie das boot which is a movie about a uh it's a german film about a submarine that gets has to be underwater for like like a month or something and everybody in this in this submarine goes crazy so it's kind of a funny reference to what happens in this episode which is basically a story about a subway car getting stuck and people in it going going crazy so real quick uh real quick summary um Arnold and his friends are coming out of a movie, um, and they they like complain about it. And then they uh, are trying to figure out how to get home because it's already dark. And um, they like kind of list all the options of uh, public transportation. They go through um, like, oh, maybe take the bus. Oh, the bus, they, they missed it. Oh, let's walk home. Oh, no, it's too dangerous. Let's take a taxi. Oh, we don't have enough money. And then Arnold says, well, what if we what if we take the subway and um, everyone's like, no, no, it's crazy. And Gerald has this like great line, uh, you know what they say, uh, lights, wait, what is that? Oh, so, so sun goes down, stay, stay above, above ground. ground. And there's yeah. like a little like, <laughs> yeah, it's really cool. <laughs> um, and then, uh, Arnold's like, no, it'll be great. And you know, Her- Harold's there and he's like, I ain't afraid of nothing. And then Helga has this like funny, like really funny moment, you know, one of the best, like go-to comedy moments in the show, she says, there's no way I'm taking the subway. And then it cuts to this moment of like a train whizzing by her face. And then she says, I can't believe I'm taking the subway. So like kind of a just nice, uh, I'll, I'll never do it. And then she does it. Um, so they get, on the, they get on the subway train and they have like some trouble figuring out where they're supposed to go. They realize they're on the wrong train, but Gerald kind of like, says, "Oh, don't worry, we'll make it work. And then this, the car breaks down. And they're sharing this car with all these different types of people. They have like, there's like a nice lady and this other guy reading a newspaper. And then there's a, uh, like a psychologist and uh, his patient who is afraid of uh, who's claustrophobic, afraid of tight spaces. And she's like repeating this mantra. And there's this blind old man with a dog. Um, And there's a homeless guy. And then Arnold, Gerald, Helga, Phoebe and Harold. Um, And they're all sharing this car. And as they are stuck here they kind of start losing their mind they are getting hungry they're complaining to each other they're kind of losing their yeah losing their cool a little bit um and as this is happening uh arnold's grandma figures out that he's stuck in uh this car and you realize you like find a little bit about her like she says i'm the only ex-cop in this town crazy enough and then you know to go to go find this car um and you wonder is the thing I'm realizing is that she's crazy or that she's a cop and I'm not sure which it is. Like yeah, she could be totally lying or she, it's just a bit about her past. Yeah. Yeah. Her past life. It I hope she was
1: a cop. It would make sense with her karate skills, I guess. It would. Yeah. She seems way too Zen to be a cop
0: though, in my opinion. Yeah. And too crazy also. Uh, okay. We could talk about that. Uh, <laughs> it seems to go yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's true. Sure. Uh, oh, 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 I get what you're saying. Okay, cool. Cool. All right. Um, So yeah, she, she does end up, um, starting the car up. She like, like climbs into the sewers and, uh, starts the car again. And, um, this is, this happens right at the culmination of like the, the people in the car, their insanity. Um, and they, uh, like right at the moment when she's about to start the car again, uh, the dog gives birth to puppies and everyone's so happy and like, Oh, puppies. Great unifying. moment. Yeah. Very unifying, unifying moment. Uh, and it finishes with the homeless dude um who by the way keeps saying like the the gimmick of the episode is get out of my house so like already a conversation of like the, this is his home you know mm-hmm. um but uh he finishes off the episode singing this like rallying cry for all um the ode to public transportation yeah, ode, yeah <laughs> the ode to public transportation which we'll talk about more but uh yeah, and they sing it together, and it's like kumbaya in the subway train, and that's the end of the episode. So, it's yeah, it's definitely a story about like what happens uh, to people in a tight space when things go wrong and how they kind of first confront each other and then come together at last. Um, and that's a quick summary of the episode.
1: Yeah, I think that that was a very good summary, Corey. Thank you. And um, (laughs) I think that there's a few different directions you could go and there's a few conversations you could have out of this episode, which made this episode really fun. And I think one of them definitely is that um, there is an issue with like various forms of insanity and that nobody seems to recognize their own form of insanity, but can recognize it pretty clearly in others. Because throughout the episode, you have various points where different people are going crazy. And the most obvious one is you have the homeless man who seems a little crazy because he thinks the subway is his house, which it probably is his house. More or less. Yeah, in a philosophical sense. It's not a... And in a a practical sense. It's where he sleeps. (laughs) It's a home, but not a house. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 (laughs) We're a semantic issue there. (laughs) So... um, And then you have... The homeless man, then you have the the shrink and the uh, the patient who she's claustrophobic and she keeps repeating her mantra, which is wide open spaces, wide open spaces. And the shrink play that is played by like the greatest voice, which is like, yeah, repeat your mantra. Like it's this like, oh, uh, really- yes,
0: I, I sound like Freud. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah,
1: that was much better than mine. That was awful. Thank but- <laughs> you. So, and then you have obviously the kids and they're all crazy in different ways. Hope they're already has, crazy. They're coming in crazy. Yeah, yeah. And the other people are, are coming in crazy as well.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah.
1: Okay. The only one that doesn't seem crazy is the blind man with the dog. He seems pretty just like a blind man with the dog.
0: Yeah, but he's a little, um, uh, he's a little aggro though. Uh, a
1: little bit, but I he, think he it's called it, He called Harold fat boy. He's right though. It's just true, and everybody in this episode and the next episode, I think, calls oh. him Fat Boy constantly. <laughs> yeah. It's like a lot of fat shaming yeah, in these yeah. two episodes. But you, uh,
0: there's going to be plenty of conversations about Harold's weight in the <laughs> show. And let's let's, I mean, it's a good thing to point out, and it's yeah. going to be pointed out even harder as as the show yeah. continues.
1: So, and you see people's uh, various breaking points when it has to do with others, and I think that is really interesting. Hmm. And I think that if these people were a little more introspective, they wouldn't be so harsh on one another. But I think sure. that's the thing probably we all struggle with. And I realized as, uh, as we were taping this that Corey and I are from Southern California and we live in the suburbs more or less. And so we don't have a lot of interaction with the subway, but every time I'm in downtown Los Angeles and I use the subway, this is going to sound insane. I feel like I'm in the future. Like there's something <laughs> about it that I'm like, this is the way it's going to go going forward. Like it makes so much sense. Like in the sounds, everything sounds like a spaceship. It's like, yeah. Whoosh, yeah. Whoosh. There's lights everywhere. You see people of all different like stripes and colors. It's amazing. I mm-hmm. think it's a wonderful experience, and it feels like the fucking future. And I don't know why I feel like that. I'm probably the only dork walking around the subway going, ooh, this Every, is so wonderful. Like It's an amusement saying, park.
0: They're not saying this is my house, but they're basically saying this is my house. Like, uh, I, <laughs> Okay, so uh, the reason I say that is because I remember going with uh, some – people in college to see a show downtown and, you know, we're going to school in the suburbs and we take the subway from Norwalk up to um, downtown. And um, I remember everyone was goofing around and my friend uh, Phil uh, looked at me and goes, I can't believe they're goofing around. Like people do this every day. This is like, they're, it's they're like a live, to- it's, it's a kind of like-,
1: like a library thing where it's a like quiet and calm, and peaceful.
0: And when someone walks in guns blazing, it's like, what are you doing? People are studying here. Yeah, right. Yeah. But it- So in the train, it's like, you can imagine that adults, when they see kids, rambunctious kids walking, they're, they're like, like oh, "Dang no. it! Like this is like this is my commute, you know? Yeah." And so for like, it's an extension of their home. It really yeah. is.
1: Yeah. So that, I, I, so the, they're like kind of agreeing with the homeless man in the episode, but they just don't a, realize in a, it in a philosophical way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they don't smell as bad probably if they're going to work. Yeah, but. Yeah, but I thought that, 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 that was pretty interesting. And then another thing you could uh, unpack from it is this idea, which we just touched on, actually, of like public and private space mm. and how they intersect and how mm-hmm. they inform one another. And so obviously the subway is like a public utility. It's mm-hmm. a thing mm-hmm. that is heavily, heavily subsidized by the government. And then we pitch in some portion and that goes up and down as time goes on, of course, but through taxes and yada, yada, yada uh, the rate that you pay to travel on it. And so I think because of that, there's a reference in the episode of when the thing breaks down and there's supposedly a ton of water that's like (laughs) barreling down, uh, through the subway. And he makes a reference to these publicly funded walls, how they can't withstand the, the, um, it's the announcer the, 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 train the train operator. The train operator, yeah. And so there's like a little dig there showing that these are publicly funded walls and they're probably crappy and they can't withstand yep. whatever nature mother nature is throwing at yeah, them. Yeah. Which I think also is an uh, interesting element of the public and private conversation because typically the things that we purchase ourselves if we have the means are the best of whatever those that whatever mm. that thing is, because we like to have nice things. Sure. And if you can. But the way that we feel about public think goods is so secondary. It's, like, it's totally fine that our like, streets have potholes in them. Right. Our, all of our public infrastructure is like crumbling, even though we all use them every mm. single day. Mm. So it's this thing to me It's like an issue of priorities. And I think they sort of, in a really quick way, touch on that sort of idea. But the whole thing, I think, is talking about public and private and how we bring our sort of idea of privacy from our private life into the public sphere and that can be problematic and it actually makes us more aggressive and, um, yeah, aggressive towards one another. Yeah, yeah. And it shows in moments like in the subway when, especially when things go wrong, like when there's an outside stressor like that, people typically act insane.
0: Well, and if you, it, like, if the, the narrative of the like, uh, claustrophobic lady um, is a is a small reference to that larger thing, she's, she's saying... I you know I'm basically she's saying I'm dreaming of big wide open spaces because I can't stand being like in confined. close quarters yeah. but by by now it's her defeating her uh fear but by agreeing to go into a tight space with other people she's losing that um ability, control. that control of having like a wide open space she yeah. it's not possible. Now she, she knows that that's why she's coming in, but I think other people are coming in expecting wide open spaces, Mm -hmm. but what they're not, they're not going to get that. They're going to get cramped. You know, public trans is hard. It's like, you got to like squeeze in with other people. I, I, my friend Tracy uh, told me the story of getting thrown into a crowded Subway. Someone picked her up, and she was floating. Her feet weren't touching <laughs> the floor. This is in New York City. Like uh, uh, horrifying. That's that's yeah, that's yeah. the yeah. worst of transportation.
1: Like a sardine, a floating yeah, sardine. Yeah, yeah. And, and and this is not like a new uh, conflict that we've had. I was uh, we were doing a bit of research before this, and there was in around 1910, the early 1900s, there was this um, sort of rivalry between jitney cabs, which is basically unregulated cabs, which People that are listening to the show are probably familiar with the idea of an Uber or a Lyft. It's essentially the same thing, except it is like a hundred years ago, a little more than a hundred years ago. Um, so, and it, its competitor was the streetcar, which was highly regulated and um, basically a municipal service. Mm. And the reason that people were gravitating towards these chitney cars was because. And they reference this at the very beginning of the episode is to get from point A to point B on a in a subway or in a streetcar is you're only allowed to travel on the selected tracks. Mm, So you mm -hmm. might have to like reconnect and go onto a different subway or on the, the case of a streetcar onto a different streetcar to get to go where you're wanting to go. So it could take a very long time. But in an Uber or in 1910, a Jitney car, it can just follow any open road. So it can get you to the like, most direct way to get home or wherever you need to go. And it's, then it's more selective in how many people can be in the car. So it's not that same sort of collective good where you have to put up with all these people around you. Hmm. And um, there's this really great scene um, with- you sure this is the right one, Gerald? Yep. We take the D to Union Park, and then the C
0: three stops until 41st Avenue, and then switch over to the one. Or does that say seven? Oh no, we should really be on the F. Yeah. Nice going, Geraldo. Uh, that's okay. We can get off at the Waterloo Station and transfer to.
1: F. And it show, it sort of shows like the sort of allure or benefits to something like a jitney cab, which can get you where you want to go in it, in, in the quickest uh, form possible, or like an Uber. But the reason the problem with them is that they're unregulated, so they are. Um, they're not sort of placed in sort of the same realm as a public good so that means that they're not regulated so you kind of don't know is it's not as clear cut what the service is and um they don't have to deal with like unions, and they don't have to deal with any sort of oversight from a public body. Which you can feel however you want about that. Like think unions are bad, or think any regulation is bad. And to some degree, you're right, but to some degree, you're foolish as well. So oh, okay, all right, well, yeah, go on. <laughs> if you haven't, you don't know. I'm like a crazed lefty through listening yeah, fair, to all yeah. these shows, so I don't like the idea of this stuff. But um, keep listening if you disagree with me, please. Um, and So I don't know. I think that this episode sort of it shows like the, yeah, in a really interesting childlike way, the, the intersection of uh, private life and public life and how that becomes that that conflict becomes more exacerbated during times of crisis. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And but then at the end, which is a beautiful part, is there is the possibility through this really awful situation that public transit can bring, like to have like a really wonderful human unifying moment, mm-hmm. which is like in the show when everyone got to witness that birth of that dog, of the dogs, the puppies. Um, and I think when you have natural disasters, um, all around you see situations like that. Yeah, Um, absolutely. Yeah. Like I had friends that were living in New York city. Um, when they had the, her, her, uh, this is so bad that I don't remember. Oh, uh, uh,
0: Sandy, Sandy. Sandy. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Sandy. And, um, how the community kind of rallied together and they spent like two or three days, um, trying to help out people and like a local hospital. And I think a local church, uh, to give people certain like, things that they needed, like even just charging their cell phones, yeah, um, food, yeah, yeah. like whatever they could give. So it, there is like a unifying element to these sort of moments of crisis. It, it's
0: crazy that um, all Arnold has to say was, hey, there's something wrong with this dog and it chilled everybody out. Yeah. W- w- you're all humans. Can't you like care for each other? Exactly. But they, yeah. It's like you need something else to care about that's outside of your own story to like yeah. unify together. Um, I guess, and I guess that's kind of cool. Like seeing these characters kind of chill out and come together to help each other. Um, to, well, to help each other help this dog. Um, yeah, it's, it's kind of a moving moment. Yeah. 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 It's pretty great. Um, yeah. And that leads into like, I think if the conversation is a about private versus public space, and then also what happens to people in times of stress, both of their best and worst, I guess that thesis moment is the song that the homeless guy kind of starts. Um, and it's, it, talks about um coming together it talks about um that also that you're kind of forced together too I, there's a line that says um they've locked the doors so let's get along um and that the the interesting thing about that is it's not ignoring the fact that this is a nuisance it's not ignoring the fact that this is hard it's not ignoring the fact that it's a cramped annoying space but what it's saying is despite that let's get along let's um hold hands and all of that so it's a it's a pretty um interesting kind of Rallying cry to public to public transportation and ode to transportation, but also a conversation on connecting. Yeah. And it's very it's like a very realistic
1: uh, view of how it works. But it does show that I think that people would rather feel unified than be very, very, very comfortable all of the time. I think not everybody, but I think most people because that you're missing like out on a human. Like yeah, yeah. Things yeah, yeah, that yeah. are sterile are not human. They're like right, lacking right, some right. sort of human element. But sterile things can be good, too. Like when
0: you're in a hospital or you're, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. in surgery, those sorts of things. But you it, just because something is uncomfortable doesn't mean you can't come together.
1: Or learn from it. Yeah, yeah. Right. And have right. Like a good experience. Yeah. But the old man and his tune, boy, oh boy. It's a good one. Brought the people
0: together. Let's all hold hands here on the subway. Cause we've been stuck here in the dark For way too long Oh, it's hot, and it's keeps, And the train is on <laughs> the plane. They lock the
1: door, we got no choice Let's get along Let's all okay, in Here on the subway
0: So, uh... Weez and Ed um, is a story that kind of is a lot like uh, a couple episodes ago, the Haunted Train episode, um, where a story is told and kids, some believe it, some don't, uh, and it's kind of spread throughout Um, you know, the generations, this, these like haunted stories. And so they move forward with it. So it's, it's, it's kind of similar to that story, which I thought was interesting, um, already having another haunted story, but I think it does different things too. Um, anyway, so a quick summary. Um, oh, by the, by the way, we did not, we want to start talking about the writers for these episodes. Um, sorry to jump back. Das Subway was written by Chris Simmons. Um, and Weez and Ed is a combo writing team. It's Craig Bartlett. Rachel Lippman and Steve at Vixen. Uh, we want to start doing that just out of professional courtesy, like to give credit where credit is due. Yeah, we're, we're talking about the content of these episodes, so we want to, um, yeah, reference that. Um, yeah, uh, I'll give another quick summary. Um, so starts off with the kids on a um, uh, like on the pier at the boardwalk or something, uh, just hanging out, and Arnold is uh, kind of daydreaming about uh, this island out in the middle of this uh, lake. Um, and uh, Gerald walks up and says, what are you looking at, man? Um, and while he's doing that, Helga's like pining after Arnold. And she's <laughs> like, "Like, oh, my like sweet Arnold, I want to be with you. La la la. Uh, and you're kind of also, I pause real quick. This episode has like seven kids. No, eight, eight, eight of the kids show up at some point. Um, and you're, which is way more than usual. So, I think the cool thing about these two episodes just on a side note is you get to see Harold um, in a situation that isn't just him being a bully. It's him like his character starting to be developed um, in both episodes. And then in in this uh, second episode, Rhonda and Sid kind of get characterized as well. um, And you get a nice cameo by Brainy. Um, So it's cool to cool to see like them starting to open up these characters a little bit more. So, you know, Rhonda and Sid are arguing about uh, some gender stuff like you throw a ball like a girl. You're a little shrimp, you know, and they argue about that. And they're really just pointing out the obvious.
1: Yeah, <laughs> she does throw a ball like a girl, because she is a girl. Yeah, and, and he, he throws is... a like a stringy-haired, backwards hat-wearing kid, because he is that. Yeah, he is exactly that.
0: Yeah. Um, so while all that's happening, Arnold's daydreaming about this island, and Helga's is pining after Arnold. And then Gerald says, what are you doing, man? And Arnold says, I'm oh, just thinking about Elk Island. Why do you think nobody goes there? And Gerald's like, well... Cause it's haunted and all the kids surround him because Gerald is always the keeper a of great the tale. Order. He's a great, great storyteller. So he tells this great story about this guy named Weez Ed who, uh, uh, was back during the prohibition days and he was like this scary dude and no one knows why he wheezed, but he, they do know that he used to kill people and that he was a, like a rich, um, a rich prohibition guy and that he buried this treasure on this island, but no one's found it because it's haunted. Um, so all the kids are like, maybe we should go over there. And this grizzled old pirate figure comes up in a boat. Uh, it turns out to be Sheena's uncle, who is just, Sheena's another kid in the in the class. But uh, he offers to um, take them over for like a dollar a piece. And then he makes a fat joke about, <laughs> about Harold. And then uh, they take a boat over. And while they um, are boating over to this island, on the other side of the island, there are two guys um, on a different boat coming up to the island. And it, by the way, these two dudes are from the first episode, uh, the Downtown is Fruits episode. They're criminals. They're kind of the go-to criminals in this show. Um, but you find out that they are counterfeiting pennies. <laughs> they're counterfeiting pennies on this island, and they're kind of using the the haunted um, the haunted story, the ghost story, to scare people away so they can like uh, uh, counterfeit pennies in peace, I guess. Um, so. Yeah, the the episode is basically the kids exploring this, like, these tunnels, um, uh, having, like, just random one-off conversations that are kind of, like, just things kids would talk about. But then they do find the the pennies, and they think that they're going to be... They're like, oh, my gosh, we're rich. We found all this money. And then they realize that it's just counterfeit pennies. And then they get chased around by the bad guys, and the bad guys get arrested. It, It kind of... Like, the plot is very... When I first watched it, that's the plot, right? I mean, am I missing anything? And no,
1: it's a super... The fact that there's three writers, this is like an insanely simple episode. And the writing is, is not that great, but it's not bad. It's
0: not... It's not. It's just very, very simple. It's very simple. And it. it to me, it, at, at first glance, when I first watched it, I'm like, this is any kid's show episode. Just yeah, them yeah. having an adventure, which is cool and brings some nostalgia, but it's not... At first, I was like, this isn't... Doesn't have a lot of weight to it, and I def like I've thought about it a lot, and I think. Then we went
1: digging. We found ah
0: it. <laughs> yes, um, yeah. So it it's not like a, there's not much more to plot than that, and I didn't forget anything, right? No, like, no. That's basically, you you're a very good uh, summarizer. Oh, thank you. That's it. See you guys. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been thinking a lot about. Um, uh, I did some research on like folklore and ghost stories and how it's connected to like a post-structuralist perspective on um, literature and uh, uh, reading. Um, so I'm I'm kind of doing a post-structuralist perspective on this, um, which I've brought up before, but I'm going to give a quick summary of what that means so you're not totally lost with my weird jargon. Um, a person who's looking at a uh, a piece of fiction or a story or poetry or, or whatever or, or a movie, whatever it might be, um, from a post-structural standpoint, they're, they're reacting to a structuralist standpoint, which basically means that you think that meaning and truth can be found um, with much hard work and determination, even though it's definitely hard work. Um, you can find out the meaning, like the author's meaning, the intent of the story, what a post-structuralist would say is that that is almost impossible and that um, those those meanings are kind of floating in the air without any kind of anchoring point for you to go, oh, that's the meaning. It's, it's, you, you have to kind of like push through the weeds to find what the meaning is. So a couple um, things about post-structuralism, they're trying to find textual dis- disunity, um, which might come across as like looking for breaks in the story that don't really make sense or breaks in tone. Um, Another thing would be like uh, something that post-structuralists find ironic, but love it is the only thing we know for certain is that we can't know everything for certain. Um, Very Kantian. Yes. Yes. Uh, And then, uh, yeah, so you're looking for contradictions. You're looking for things that prove that nothing is provable. Um, And also this knowledge that the author is dead and has no, and by that, I mean the author has no control over a narrative once the narrative is released. And that jumps back to Helga and her um, journal that once she let go of the journal, she no longer has control over it. Um, And which is why she was annoyed that she wrote her name in it because she doesn't want, like it's not, she doesn't want anybody to know that she wrote it. She's willing to let it go. Um, So that's, that's what I'm uh, what I've been thinking about um, in this story. Um, and, Oh, like, let's see where to start. So this is a ghost story, right? Um, mm-hmm. to, to an extent, it, like, who is this Wiesened? Uh Why is it haunted? Um, the reason that I have been thinking about post-structuralism is that ghosts in that, when you think about that perspective and when you think about ghosts, they, they're, they're connected a lot because ghosts are this liminal thing that is neither real nor fake. It's neither alive nor dead. Um, they exist, but y- y- there's no like hard and fast thing that you can like grab onto. Um, and so, a lot of um, deconstructionists and post-structuralists look at ghosts as ghost stories, specifically as um, a great uh, like a great example of what what it means to be a post-structuralist, I guess. Uh, and so, even when Gerald's talking about uh, this narrative, um, he's talking, he's telling a story with no author, right? So there's no, there's no way to know actually what's true. They're, like, they're looking to know if Wiesnet exists, if this place is really haunted, if there's actually a treasure. Um, but he, um, the like the story doesn't even permit that because uh, it's it's a legend. It's been passed down. Yeah, you down. can't
1: go to the author
0: to see what his or her specific intent was. Yeah, there's no way of doing that. Yeah. Um, and, if we're looking for like breaks in the narrative, so Gerald's telling a ghost story. He's trying to scare these other kids into like, this is what we're going into. Like, there's gonna be, it's gonna be a haunting. You know, there's a this wheezing Ed guy's crazy, and he tells this story about what it means to be, uh, not what I mean. Sorry, uh, to, he he references why, wheezing Ed wheezes. Ed got his name from the wheezing noise he made just before he came up behind you and rubbed
1: your neck. Some say he weeps because he suffered from chronic
0: head colds. Some say the wheezing was caused by a chicken bone lodged in his throat. Some say he was that, just faking it. By, by him saying the phrase, um, uh, some people say he's just faking it. There are two things that happen there. One is he's shifting from the some say, some say, um, some say this, some say that. And then by dropping in some say he's just faking it drops all validity from what other people say um, by saying that perhaps he's just faking it. But even just the tone of his voice is a break in is a break in what you expect, because you expect Gerald to keep telling this kind of like haunted, creepy voice tale. And then when he makes that like kind of cheesy joke, that's. Um, yeah, it
1: shows like the unknown exactly it. yeah, that it's, it's totally not...
0: unknown and who who knows what what's actually happening happening and that that way of telling stories is repeated a lot in this show you think of that way that stoop kid was talked about very similar where there's two um two references to what possibly the haunted thing could be but then the third is like a joke um yeah so yeah that's that's like a loose view of uh like how ghosts are important and I think the next level is the fact that they're looking for money which already um, there's a lot of um, study in like money as a post-structuralist thing because a, like a dollar or like a quarter references wealth but it's not actually worth anything um, or it's worth way less than what it's referencing so and, and then the next level is the fact that it's counterfeit money so it's completely fake so they're looking for a thing that's fake uh, which further pushes that idea of there is no like real meaning behind anything.
1: Yeah. And I think in a, a part of that also like ties into perception. So I know sure. that like part of like, uh, what, what Kant believes is that, The reason that we cannot like know anything for sure is because, or like the existence of anything for sure, is because everything is so colored by our perception and we can never escape our perception. So, when you're talking about that in terms of this episode, these kids, when they fall into the pit onto all these coins, they think that they have found
0: real treasure
1: and they don't know the difference. So, for them in that moment, they think they have found great wealth. They come to find that it is. Counterfeit Counterfeit pennies. Counterfeit pennies. And on on the flip side of that, these bad, 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 terrible criminals and that they're just not good at being criminals. That's what I mean by that. Yeah, not
0: not bad. (laughs) They don't do anything to the kids. They're just bad at being criminals. They're bad at their job. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So as they're trying to um, play the perception game on or deceive, be, be deceptive for those who are going to receive the coins as well. So mm-hmm. it's this constant mm-hmm. play of perception, I think,
0: yeah, that's right,
1: and yeah, and that's I think very true with folklore because because since you cannot refer to the author to find their initial intent, um, you the people uh, as any sort of verbal tradition or any um, thing in that of that nature, the people of that time are going to read into it what they read into it <coughs> because it aligns with sort of their cultural understanding. Yeah. Um, their just sort of their, their perception of the world. Yeah. So although this thing, the story may be relatively consistent, how people perceive the story will always be changing.
0: Yeah. And I think I was going to reference that too, that the reason that ghost stories came up when they did is because of specific struggles of that, whatever class kind of opened up that story, whether it was people in poverty, people in the middle class, it was brought up because of their own anxieties. Um, and so it, it makes sense that these like lower-income kids would um, tell this haunted story, tie like keep this story going about um, uh, this like buried treasure because they're like for them they're they're looking for what they want to look for they're they're looking for treasure because that's what they're they're thinking about what do I need to do to like succeed like I need money right um, so there's something about how folklore is really tied to like not only the struggle of the people who started the story, but also the struggle of the people who are still telling it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, by the way, I'm pulling a lot of this from it. There's a book that I was like kind of skimming called um, the ghost story from 1840, to 1920 by Andrew Smith. And a lot of that is referencing. He, he, he basically breaks down, um, like what the ghost story is. It was super interesting. And I think tied a lot to this story. And I think I nerded out a lot just now, <laughs> but, but, but You're turning red, Corey. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I like, I probably bored a lot of you. It's like, like really like intense literary theory. Um, but it's, it's interesting. And, and it, it is relevant because, uh, yeah, there's the, the liminalness of the ghost, the liminalness of the money. And even Arnold at the end of the episode, as their um, Boating away, uh like leaving the island, he makes a really strong statement about uh certainty.
1: Haunted caves though. Yeah, I guess there really isn't a wheezy name. I don't know, Gerald. I just don't know.
0: Um, yeah, his th- that comment saying I don't know, uh he's okay with that, but at the same time curious still. Uh and that's that's a that's what a deconstructionist would do or post-structuralist would do in looking at literature or film is really like existing in that unknown um, and not like being okay without the answer. Um, And the interesting thing is this is paralleled with Helga's story too. how she wants so bad to tell truth and that hurt that story of her wanting to tell Arnold what she, how she feels about him, but not being able to tell the truth is being told at the same time while all these kids are looking for truth. And I think that's that's an interesting parallel that maybe isn't purposeful, but it's a nice nice thing that's happening at the same time.
1: I hope with three writers that it was purposeful. Otherwise, I know. at least yeah. two of those writers are useless. Oh, whoa. <laughs> Just in this context. I'm kidding. Sure, sure, sure. As human beings, sure. they're great. And Craig yeah. Violet, we can thank him for the show too. Thanks, Craig, for letting us do this podcast. Nope, he didn't do yeah. <laughs> that. Please
0: come on, talk to us. We want to talk with you. Uh, we got to make this like, uh, we, like both of these episodes. We talked a lot about um, uh, like nerdy theory. <laughs> we got to like hearten this up a little bit. I don't know. Like that what, is what it is. Yeah. Well, so okay. So is there anything else you think about Weez and Ed that you've been thinking about or?
1: No, no. I think you covered it. I don't. No, I don't know. Yeah, this one I. It was a good episode, and I think it was fun for us to like search for the meaning, like they were searching for those useless coins. So I think that's like... A, whoa. That this shows our cup yeah. coins. Yeah. Wow, wow. <laughs> I'm bowing now. In wow. Yeah, you, you can't hear me bow. Um. Yeah. So, but I, so I think in that sense that it was a fun exercise in that, and I hope it was fun for the listener because Corey, I don't know this 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 exercise is super dorky in the fact that we're talking about uh the show, but I think just like we just like to nerd out about a lot of the other things as well. And yeah. that we'll show through. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. Oh, and all the, 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 if you liked the nerdy shit that Corey was just talking about, which we hope you did, um, it's all going to be in the show notes probably at least links to where you can yeah. find this information. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And same with the stuff of, of the first segment from uh, DAS subway, all that stuff will be in the show notes as well. Um, so yeah. if you want to dig a little deeper into it,
0: and we won't always be going this nerdy. Sometimes, if something is more emotional or um, character-driven, that's what we talk about. But when it's not, we're looking for other ways to like add layers to these stories. And this week, it just felt like this story of private versus public life, and um, uh, yeah, like nerdy literary theory was a good fit. Yeah. But you know what? Let's let's bring some
1: heart into this. <laughs> <laughs> so now we're going to introduce our new segment called.
0: Cry of, of the, the week, wow wah. Wah, wah, wah. wah, wah. Uh, yeah, this show. The joke of this show is that it's just like way sadder than it than any other kids show from the era. Um, yeah. Yeah, I've like, I've already cried for several episodes. <laughs> not not. Yeah, I've already like actually like teared up. So uh, we did. We kind of decided we want to talk about that. And yeah, just a little uh, little story.
1: My. Mother found out about my podcast, the podcast not mine, our podcast. Yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> no, sorry. And um, she was listening to it and she's like, Adam, talk about me on your podcast more. So this is me doing that. Um, I guess when Hi we Adam's were, <laughs> mom. Hi, Mrs. Adam's mom. <laughs> when we when I was a kid, my sister and I would sit on the couch, obviously, and watch the show on the television, which is uh where you watch things, then not on laptops and flat screen TVs. Sure. Um and So you're sitting on the couch. We're sitting on the couch, and we're watching the show. And I guess my mom, like, I didn't realize this at the time, but when we would watch TV as a family, she would always sit on the couch with us because that's, like, what you do. But when we watched Hey Arnold, she never would sit on the couch. She told me she would always stand behind the couch because she knew during every Hey Arnold episode that she was going to shed some tears. And she didn't want us to see that because she didn't want us to, like read into the, the story like that because it's like fun and it's like heartfelt and we're like nice emotional kids. So she didn't want to like introduce that element of the show uh, to us. And I didn't even think about that until we've been revisiting it now. Like the emotional depth of the show it is insane. Yeah. Like not yeah. every episode, but there's a lot of episodes where it's like, damn, yeah, that, that's fucking sad. Yeah. Like that's the only My-
0: or even think. if it's not sad, it's still heartfelt.
1: It's yeah. Like really heartfelt. Moment. Yeah. And yeah. she said something about like, these are kids living in poverty. Like she <laughs> yeah, was like yeah. really like stuck on that point, which is as an adult, I'm sure. Yeah. She was, I, it's weird. Cause listening back to it on the first episode, I was so into the fact that no parents were in the show. Like I thought that was amazing that these huh, kids were running huh. around in a sort of mild state of anarchy, but my mom didn't read it like that. She read yeah. it like, where are these kids' parents? This yeah, is so yeah, sad. Yeah. yeah.
0: So, yeah. So, well, let's let's do it this way. Um, Adam, what, what was your cry of the week? What was a moment that um, stood out to you as heartfelt or sad? Uh, was there any? In this,
1: this one, not as much. I think probably um, it was like maybe tears of joy. Like I really loved when the dog had the puppies.
0: And all the other characters did too. Yeah, right? and yeah. yeah, we
1: were all in the same boat. Yeah, yeah. yeah, or same subway car. Um, And yeah. I loved that. And it was like, ha- I'll had. i give it one tier, but one tier of joy, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. It, it wasn't was the a full cry-, cry. It was the cry of the week. It was the cry of the
0: week. But, but it was just one tier.
1: One tier only. So we're, okay. the rating system is one to four.
0: Sometimes and then five. five is full cry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that is a, I, I would say that probably was the cry of the week. But I think the other moment for me, which is like a really simple moment, is actually at the beginning of Weez and Ed, when Arnold's just sitting on the pier looking out. Damn, that's a good one. It's the most that romantic, a like, like the music. It's a very romantic childhood moment. And even like... It's Hel- so introspective. Helga too. seeing that too. Yeah. It's, she was yeah, into it. Yeah, like she saw it. It's an introspective moment. The music works. It feels like a romantic youth thing. Um, I might even give it two because like Ooh. talking about it gives me the shivers. No, that's it. true.
1: And for all the men that listen to the show, it, you, it proves you can be emotional and ladies are still like you. Yep, that's the producer actually telling us we need to wrap this
0: thing up. Wrap it up. Um, Yeah, so that's... uh, uh, How many cries would I give that? Two? Two? No, two 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 tears, not two cries. Two two, two, two two tears. So we're going to keep doing the... We're going to revisit old cries, too, because we miss... I mean, there's Stoop Kid. There's the baseball episode. Ooh, classic cries. Yeah, the the turtle episode. There's so many classic cries. We'll revisit them, but those are are our two cries of the week. So, uh, yeah, listen... Listen to our podcast, watch the show, rate and review,
1: rate and review,
0: and just bear with us as we're figuring all this shit out. Yes, thank you, thank you so much.
1: Bye-bye. Bye. Uh-oh.